Welcome to the Bloom Podcast, Human Stories of Resilience. And I'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we're recording today and paying my respects to their elders past and present. I extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who might be listening. Hey, Steve. Hey, Susie. So, now every time I say so, I'm feeling self-conscious. You told me not to say so. You want to bet that's staying in the podcast? I'm a, I'm an atheist and I was brought up as an atheist, though interestingly, I was baptised a Catholic, but sometime between that point and heading off to school, my family lost their religion, left it, left it on the train, <laughs> rang the lost property office, couldn't find it. <laughs> Bang, it was gone. So I'm an atheist to the point where, well, I'm also horribly ignorant about religion because we never even, in, a, in Australia in the 70s when I was growing up, government schools had religious education as, as a lesson that was, uh, I mean, Bible stories, right? The, the ladies from the local Anglican church came in and, and told Bible stories. And I used to get pulled out of that and sat in the library with the Jewish kids. I never even had the uh, the Bible stories. It's almost that I'm not just an atheist. I've, it's like a whole world I know really very little about, except for there were a few years where one of my kids was in a, a Catholic school and so I got a little exposure to that culture. And I grew up in a, a very Jewish part of Melbourne, so a little exposure to that culture as well, weddings, funerals, uh, Shabbos, all that kind of thing. Otherwise, religion is a closed book to me, and that's not the way it is for you. You have a much more, you have a much greater depth of knowledge about religion. I suppose I'd characterise it by saying that if what you're saying is there is a blank for you or it's a closed book, for me it's like a gap. It's like a hole that was once occupied by God. I was brought up as a Roman Catholic got the idea into my head at the age of 10 that I wanted to be a priest and found myself at a boys' Catholic boarding school for seven years and then a seminary for a couple of years. And then when I left the seminary, I lost my religion as well, lost my religious belief. Whoa, hey, slow down. Hang on. <laughs> you you went to a, a seminary. You trained to be a priest. I did. I'm a what sometimes gets called a spoilt priest. And where did you lose your faith? Is it on the, the train with mine or what, what happened? Somewhere Jesus says, describes himself, uses the image of himself as a, as a cornerstone or a keystone, which is to say a, that essential part of the building that if that is removed, the whole thing falls down. And that's what happened for me. My vocation went and perhaps a bit to my surprise, the whole of the edifice of my belief collapsed as well in a matter of weeks. My first term at university i went from i started going out with this girl and she was going to to methodist chapel so i was going to the methodist chapel and then to mass at the beginning of the term or halfway through the term by the end of the term i wasn't going to either you'd spent best part of a decade within the institution first the, the boarding school and then the seminary as well as your family background was that traumatic? Not traumatic. I don't recall it as being traumatic. Well, it was quite scary. It was quite frightening because I was institutionalized. So for me, religion wasn't just something that I went to, you know, and then you come home again and you're going to the church and it's a different part. For me, I was kind of living in a building of which the church was an integral part. And I, as we've discussed in a previous episode, I have aphantasia, so I don't really see things 
I don't really have visual images at all, but I recall my spiritual director gently suggesting to me that perhaps I ought to go off and explore the world a little bit, either prior to me returning or not returning. And I had this image of the quadrangle around me collapsing, and I was on this wide open plane where I could see all the way to the horizon, and it, it felt scary. I felt exposed and alone. But you did it. You went off to a, a secular university. Didn't have any choice. He kicked me out. Me out, did his name was Pat Kelly, and he later became the Archbishop of Liverpool. And you address an Archbishop as Your Grace. I wanted to be the 10,001st person who said to him, Your Grace Kelly, but I never got that opportunity. <laughs> but I think he saw in me that I was it wasn't really my vocation, it was something that I picked up at the age of 10. And the image that I had for many years, I actually felt this was two images. So for someone who doesn't have images, these are the, here's a collection of three images. We've just heard one. The second one was, I had this sensation of being on the travelator, you know, that thing at the airport where you're, you've got your luggage and it's taking you along and you're seeing the gates passing and you're thinking, hang on, that's, that's my gate or I'm being carried along somewhere here to somewhere else. It's a while since I was in an airport, but I seem to remember that happening a lot, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you're on the travelator and... There goes your gate behind you. <laughs> but the other one, the, the thing that suggested to me that I, I wasn't comfortable in what I was doing is I had this, this vision of myself as a priest with the, you know, with the vestments and the, the smells and bells and all of that, standing up in the pulpit in front of a full church, because of course it would be a full church if I was doing the sermon. And three quarters of the way down towards the back of the church, there would be an Irish Catholic mother, very much like my own Irish Catholic mother. And along the pew, a whole row of snotty little Catholic boys and girls. And it was part of my obligation to tell her that children were a blessing from God. And the more children she had, the more blessed she was. And my heart was not in that. That always struck me as kind of weird and a little bit creepy, actually. For the the unmarried man to be uh, telling the woman that, yeah. that she's blessed. The man who lives in the big house, this is what I remember of my parish priest, the man who lived in a big house, much better house, more rooms than, than we had, and a housekeeper who used to come in and make his bed and cook his meals, not married, and, and sitting there in confession, listening to people confessing their sexual sins and and failings and pronouncing on them. And for you, vocation and belief were very closely tied. So when that keystone was removed, the whole lot just came tumbling down. Yes. And now it feels to me as if there is a, a gap in that part that some people have, a spiritual life that I recognize the shape of because I once used to have it. I remember sitting at Baldy Island, which is a, a little island off the coast of Wales, just outside Tenby, where there's a monastery. I spent a couple of summers there working in the, the tourist cafe and the sun was going down and I was with someone of about my own age who didn't believe in God. And I was rather secretly shocked by somebody not believing in God and gesturing towards the setting sun, saying to him rather grandly and battlingly to me now, there, there's your proof that God exists. I've got no idea what I meant. <laughs> How is that proof of anything? It is the thing about religion that I find hard to get a grip with. I mean, there's a lot of things about a lot of religions I quite like, the the values and the good works and the all of that, fantastic. But the belief in something that you can't see and for people who do have that belief, they believe that they can see it. They see God in the sunset. I just don't get it. How is God in the sunset any more than 
I don't know, Puss in Boots, who says it's God, who says it's this God. I quite like the Norse gods, but they seem to have really gone out of fashion. But (laughs) are they not just as valid as the Catholic God, the Anglican God? Are they not, maybe not because they're not in the sunset? You see, I'm just, I I don't, I mean, I have no. God's calling. He wants a word. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I should have answered. (laughs) So. There's a whole world of theology. Weirdly, my father loved theology. He studied for a master's of theology. Why he he was fascinated by different forms of religion. So why I've ended up with this void, I, I don't know. Why should you have it just because he had? Well, it's more traditional that he would, that a parent would at least want their child to be brought up in a, with a similar education or interest to themselves is is what I mean. I don't mean a, an interest in theology is genetic, but he was never dynastic about anything, actually. So he just believed in people finding their own way, which is a very unreligious kind of belief, actually, now that I think about it. Obviously, there's a whole world of theology out there that addresses this that I'm horribly ignorant of. I just don't get it, though. I kind of want to be having a debate with your 19-year-old self or whatever, whoever, however old you were, who could see God in the sunset. What What's God doing in that sunset? <laughs> Which God is it? Why is he in there? Can we get him out? Well, there's some merit in what the Richard Dawkins and Daniel Dennett and Sam Harris's of this world have to say, which is that religion doesn't have a, a role within education or the establishment. But I think what that overlooks is that it's not a logical thing. It's about meaning. It's not about logic. And I don't know that you can persuade someone who believes in God not to believe because you can prove to them by a mathematical formula that God can't exist. It doesn't seem to be about that. No, and I don't want to dissuade. I mean, people can believe what, what they want to believe and good for them. I just don't get it. And I'm I'm curious. Yeah, what I don't like is when they want us to believe, and I've I've experienced it myself. They secretly or overtly feel that we're missing out, and they're going to show us the error of our ways, which is rather unfortunate for them. Because having been trained myself in theology and those sorts of things, and having thought a lot about it since, if they want to try and argue me into believing, I can certainly outmaneuver them on that. Has anyone ever persuaded anyone into anything through an argument? <laughs> I doubt it very much. I'm really <laughs> quite interested that when you lost your vocation and your belief went hand in hand, because it, it doesn't always happen like that. People lose vocation but retain their belief. Let's talk to somebody about religion. Yes, I've got just the man. Who's better than me <laughs> and pro, <laughs> which you're not. <laughs> He's someone that is world famous in Melbourne and... Kind of ironically, he's something of an an institution because he is very anti-institutional and somebody who is kind of fiercely articulate and passionate about helping the disadvantaged and about, I think, enacting some of the real revolutionary zeal of Jesus Christ, which I think is often missing in, in a lot of institutional religion. Okay, let's go. Father Bob, welcome to the Bloom podcast. Thank you, Steve and Susie. Great to have you here, representing all religion ever. Yeah, ever. <laughs> Bob, I'm an atheist or an agnostic. I'm not quite sure which. Well done. Well done. What am I missing? What am I? What would be in my life Nothing. if I if I believed in God? Well, the the thing is that God believes in you, so that's a good start, isn't it? 
But I mean, the rest of it is, uh, I'm a great believer ever since I read that book by, what's his name? Um, uh, Grayling, G-R-A-Y-L-I-N-G, and I can't remember his first name. AC is his first name. AC, that's that man, you see, who said even the secular is sacred. And I like that, you see, because he doesn't mean it's religious, but it's sacred. Uh, the secular is special. And sacred is a, is a word, I, you know what I mean, it's, it's been played around by religions for a long time as if they own it. But I'm saying no, 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 no. Uh, it owns us because of the sacred secular. Uh, everywhere you look, the signs of uh, the other, the other, or as um, the X factor, you know. Um, the, the clergy, of course, like to kind of uh, treat it as their own and they can explain it. But that's not true, you see, because it's not theirs to explain. Uh, we all own it and it owns us. We're all in this together. Um, the parish without borders. How do you know that God exists? So I said, well, I met him. You met God? I've been to the top of the mountain and I've seen the promised land. Like Martin Luther King said, the promised land I saw, I call it the Cobberwealth, C-O-B-B-E-R, the Cobberwealth where we're all in this together and nobody is left behind, including the, big, the, the good, bad and the ugly. They're all in this and they've all got to be included. You see, this is not a human race for, for only the good, good, the bad and the ugly. Yes, I, I get all of that, Bob, but your personal relationship with God, I, I sort of feel as if I'm missing something. Mates. Mates. Yeah, mates. You never, you've heard of that, mates? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what a mate is, but my mates talk back, Bob. Well, so do mine. But, I mean, talking, there's, there's more, more than one way of talking. There's, you know, you mean language. You've got imagination, and the imagination is the thing that's going to make it uh, is communication. Care, communication, concern, common sense, and compassion. That's the, that's the, they're the key words of the algorithm. When he went to the top of the mountain, do you remember that? Or when Moses or whoever it was, he ends up at the mountain and the mountain says, look, what do you want? He said, I want rules. He said, here's your rules. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So Moses or whoever it was says, thanks very much, walks away, and then the voice comes and says, hey, come back. Pick up the piece of paper I threw on the ground. And the piece of paper had written on it, none of this will work without common sense. And that's good. I like that. That's, that's straight from the, the mountain. There's none of this is going to work unless you use your, your, your gift of common sense. And so to me, you see, there's... there's uh, Common sense is what uh, what what I think of that man. Well, who was he? The emperor, Marcus Aurelius. He said, "I've got an empire. I've got an empire. I've got an empire." And his mother said, "Darling, what are you going to do now that you've got an empire?" He said, "I don't know. I don't know." She said, "Well, I suggest, my son, that you do one thing, and that is to think it through." Now I like that. Think it through. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter anything as long as you think it through, work it out. After you have thought it through, now that's 
what people would say, rationalism, and the clergy are frightened of it. But there's no need to be frightened of it because it's the it's this it's the great gift. Think it through, my son. And I th- that's what we need more of. You see now. The clergy are a bit nervous about it because they're a bit nervous that people will think it through and come to the conclusion that they don't need the clergy. Well, that was going to be my question, Bob. What do we need the clergy for when we can be good? They're supposed to be there. The clergy are supposed to be there as the servants. The one who wait on you, they said to Jesus, "What do we?" He said, "Look, you know, drive me mad with this." He said, because the woman just walked in the door and is down at me feet, washing me feet. And I'm telling you, oh, they said she's a prostitute. And he said, well, so what? But he is, she without sin cast the first stone. But besides all that, I'm saying to you, go and wash other people's feet. You see, put yourself down. Wash their feet. That's service. And that's religion, pure and undefiled. Uh, Who said that? Religion, pure and undefiled, is to look after the orphan and the widow. That comes out of your New Testament. First, look after the orphan and the widow. The rest will look after itself. If you don't look after those who are the most uh, socially ostracised, the most socially excluded, if you don't look after those, well, you're never going to find God. God is good. Same thing I write down oftentimes, God slash good. Uh, Because of that grailing thing, you see, that uh, even the secular is sacred. And wherever you find good, you've found God. And that might be in Marxism. It could be in in, in anything. Do other religions and other versions of God are good as well? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, oftentimes people have turned their version of God into a religion. And I think that's not, you don't want that. You want a spirituality. You see what I mean? And the spirituality is free range, and that's the worst thing you can do is, is, is to try to confine the good or the God. Kirk or somebody says, Mr. Spock, make it happen. Let's go there. That's where we've got to go. We've got to go to the unbelievably colourful and imaginative. Now, the clergy, unfortunately, will tend to want to take the colour out of religion. You see, and make it colourless, tasteless, colourless and odourless. Don't ask me why, because I'm one of them. I'm a card-carrying Roman Catholic priest from the Archdiocese of Melbourne. Uh, Still, thanks to the Archbishop of Melbourne, because I want to be. I'm wondering, because you talk so often about the clergy being, you know, getting in the way and then they should be the servants, but they they end up bossing the show and all of that. They can learn. They They can unlearn the bad bits and they can learn the good bits. That's where we were going in the first, what, I don't know how many years, um, the clergy were at the service of the people, you see, and then all of a sudden, boom, boom, uh, we have an outbreak of clericalism uh, taking the place of religion. What is God to you, Bob? I mean, at a really personal level, do you you talk to him every morning? You don't talk to all your mates every morning, but, I mean, you've just got this open-ended, what do you call it? Uh, It's almost (laughs) Zoom-like. Yeah. So he's there. You, you've almost got a Zoom room where you can, uh, but you don't need anything. You've got, you've got, you, you use your app. Your app is your, your mind and your heart. You see, and the mind and the heart, you're in the room with with uh, with the other. 
the other. And you need to get into the room with the other because the others, the others got the 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 big picture. When I believed in God, Bob, I remember sitting on a, a hill somewhere with somebody as the sun set, and I pointed to the sun setting and say, "There, that's." That's God. Yeah, that's God. And now I've got no idea what the hell I meant. What did I mean? Well, it doesn't have to. You have to feel, not mean. See, you felt it was God, the real presence. You see? So feelings, we've got to get our feelings back. Unfortunately, we've been, uh, we've become so rational and so dominated by apps and technology. You see? Yeah. We've got to get our feelings back, our imagination and our feelings. Uh, we've got to get back eye contact with one another. We've got to get back even uh, between you. Above your eyes, you've got the forehead, and the forehead oftentimes speaks words of wisdom. And the eyes, of course, do. And the, even the ears. Even the ears. You see, you wriggle your ears. The ears talk. You know what I mean? No, no, n- not really. How do the ears talk? Well, they do. That's what, that's what your face is for, facial expressions. You see, that's how we learn whether people are, we feel that people are on our side or not. Yeah. We look at their face, frowning, uh, smiling, all of that. You see, we're, we're, unfortunately, we've become so dominated by technology and all of that kind of stuff that we've forgotten that in the beginning, in the cave, while we were waiting for the dinosaurs to get out of the bloody way, we wondered, remember that story about the in the cave and they... They sat watching the wall and the wall, they said, Plato. Plato. And they said, well, why don't you turn around and have a look? Oh, my God. He said, what's all that? They said, what you saw on the wall, you fool. (laughs) See? But it's reality. Reality. Enjoy. Enjoy reality. You see? Do not be afraid. The dark side wants us to be afraid. Do not be afraid. I am with you. But that's where we've become... Very frightened people, and that's sad. Uh, because when you're sad, you might slip the next step and go mad with sadness. <laughs> and unfortunately, if you go mad with sadness, you might make a choice and go bad. That's, that's, that's an algorithm, sad, mad, and bad. Can I ask you a really personal question? Well, I can ask, and, and you can tell me to. Yeah, have I or have I ever not become a member of the Communist Party? <laughs> the Roman Catholic Church does not allow its priests to marry and, and have children. Well, that's a, that's a discipline. That's a, what do you call it, an administrative thing that's been going on for years. That's true, but you, you, you have, as far as, as anybody knows, adhered to that. Do you feel that that's been a great sacrifice in your life? Oh, I'm a bit socially, what do you call it, um, psychosocially challenged anyway. Marriage, marriage, marriage. I'm married to what? Married to the cause, married to the, to the uh, parish without borders, personal relationship. Um, I'm beyond that now. I don't know that I'd inflict myself on any other person, male or female. Um, I know better. I think I wouldn't inflict that. That would be asking too much. I keep saying, you see, that I'm I'm married to the uh, to the parish without borders. Uh, that gets me through the day, night, and afternoon. But it does sound like a cop out, doesn't it, to say that? Oh, it sounds like it, but well, it's my cop out. Yeah, I own it. Yeah. 
<laughs> what a cop out! I'm going to cop out. You don't think you'd have made a good husband and a good father? Wouldn't have a clue. Wouldn't have a clue. Wishful thinking. Wishful thinking. I am the, the reality bites. I know I am what I am. Uh, I've been to the top of the mountain. I've seen the promised land, and the promised land is no one must be left behind. And as that bloke. I think there's a famous statue up near the Melbourne Shrines called uh, the Fromel statue. He's got a bloke over his shoulder, the soldier has, and a voice comes from behind and says, don't forget me, Cobber. So he says, oh, I can keep going and both of us, it'll be safe. Uh, I'll go back. So he ends up with two on his shoulder. And I've always loved that. I've always loved that. And the other, the other kind of mantra that I love is the one from Sir Weary Dunlop. When somebody asked him, excuse me, sir, what did you learn in Changi, the prisoner of war camp? And he said, very, and very, he was very, very uh, quiet about it. Um, he didn't yell or anything. He said, I learned to put others first. And that's the second part of the mantra, I think. Don't forget me, Cobber. Put others first. And I think that will that will get me through until the next episode. <laughs> you know what I mean? Whatever the next episode is going to be, this will, this will get me through. Are you happy? Happy as Larry. Yeah? Yeah, happy as Larry. Happy in the sense of what? Feeling happy, I don't know, because I'm a Glaswegian. We don't easily feel happy. You know what I mean? Because we went through hell with the black and tans and we went through hell with the British occupation of Scotland and Ireland. Happy is, I think, um, I feel fortunate um, and I'm happy in the sense of uh, not being afraid, you see. I think that's a, that, that's a blessing. Not to be afraid. Be not afraid. Is that something you've had to, to work at? Do you think you would have the ability to be afraid if you didn't give in to it? Oh, I think we're all we're all capable of fear because, we'll see, with that cave, that bloody cave in the beginning, we said, what, what's all that stuff on the wall? And he said, turn around and have a look. And you won't, you, you, you needn't be afraid because you can, you, you, you're a human being with reason and you can work it out. See, you can work it out how to get on with animals and, and birds and the whole of nature. Mother Nature comes to me speaking words of wisdom. Let it be. There will be an answer. And that's what we're working on, you see. The answer is, is, is ever-evolving. That's the, nerve, the, the bad thing about being, um, what, about clericalism, that they slammed the book shut and they said, there, we're the ones who know the answers. See what I mean? Yes. And that's not true. There will be an answer. Let it be. And we're working on it. So do you reckon that's enough? <laughs> Never enough, Bob. Never enough. But thank you. Your mother up there. She's a, you happy, mother? <laughs> yes, I'm happy. <laughs> I'm very happy. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Bob, just tell us about the great work that you do and where, if people want to learn more about it, they can find out about it. www.fatherbobs, with no apostrophe, dot com. Excellent.
And we've got Bob Keeper coming up, have we? Yeah. Now, Bob Keeper, is it on the page? It is on the page. What is Bob Keeper? Oh, we're trying to raise money so that we can make sure that the people, what we're doing already is, in fact, we, 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 we hand out lots and lots and lots and lots of uh, packaged food. Uh, we've got a warehouse. We're working on it um, to try to make sure that we either own it or we go to a bigger warehouse. We've got some interested supporters who are saying uh, they might help us to get a bigger warehouse. And the warehouse is the place where people can come. Um, it's down near a railway line, so they can oftentimes use their, what is it, Mikey, to a card uh, to get to the place. And if they need help, we'll give them tickets or whatever you call it. And down there they can take away packaged, packaged food. Uh, they'll never go away from that place. Lots and lots of people are helping us with um, uh, to, 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 to refrigerate food and stockpile food. So we often see people come down there um, and go away um, with, um, with a bag uh, with good stuff in it. And it's also an opportunity for them to, to be respected. Yes. You see, which is a hunger for respect. Uh, they're only working class people and they might be from housing ministry. But you see, the one thing that they hunger and thirst for is respect. You see? And that's what we all have to learn to show one another mutual respect. And that's why that's the, the way that we'll put a smile on their face. You shouldn't have to wake up in the morning with a coat hanger in your mouth. <laughs> you know what I mean? I do, Bob. Go to bed at night with a smile on your face. <laughs> Huh? And that's how we find God. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you Thank so, you much, so for much for being on the Bloom podcast, Thank you so Bob. Much. Hasta la vista. Hasta la vista, baby. Hasta la vista. <laughs> See you, Bob. What about that then? He's a, an extraordinary man, isn't he? For the benefit of the listeners, we record on Zoom so we can see each other. It helps greatly with the interview process. But I was keeping an eye on you. You looked like someone had attached a fire hose to your mouth. You were kind of reeling. Your your back was being pushed back. There was a, a gush of Father Bob. He just like kind of turned on whatever it is, that thing that he does. And, and as soon as we'd finished, then he stopped. Yes. I mean, he's amazing, but it's not really a conversation, is it? No. I think we, we build this as an interview and we are probably guilty of contravening the Trades Descriptions Act, I think. It wasn't an interview. Yes. It's more of a starring. <laughs> an audience with Bob. Yeah. <laughs> well, he does amazing work. He's spent a lifetime of helping people and supporting some of the most vulnerable and needy people. And that is much, much more than he, the sum total of all the good work that he's done fills the MCG where mine fills about, I don't know, maybe maybe the ensuite. And for him, the good work and also I think values and ethics and good moral and generally being a good person is tied up with his religion. 
Father Bob is, I think, much closer to the spirit of Jesus than institutional religion. Certainly my own experience of it is, which can often be very, very complacent and very self-satisfied. And if you go and look around the Vatican and see the extraordinary wealth and opulence and compare that to the way that Jesus used to speak about the poor and about women and about children and about lepers, I think Bob is much closer to that spirit than most Christians. We forget sometimes that Jesus was a member of uh, an oppressed, colonized group of people. The Romans were in full command, and him and his people were uh, the lowest of the low. Christians talk about the scandal of the cross, that actually it's, uh, and this may be upsetting for anybody who's deeply Christian to hear me put it in these terms, but I'm trying to convey something of the scandal of the cross. It would be a little bit like a prophet or a priest or a bishop now being accused of paedophilia. The scandal, the, the shame of Jesus being crucified was a very, very difficult thing for the early Christians to reconcile because it, it was designed to be the worst kind of punishment for the worst kind of person. And as I say, I think Bob's spirit of recognizing that we don't live in a fair society and that poor people don't get a, a fair go is much closer to the spirit of Jesus than prime ministers and politicians parading their religiosity. I've often thought that you would have made quite a good priest, a Father Bob-like priest perhaps. You're a, a counsellor in many ways and a, a death celebrant. So it's almost like you've come back to the tasks, the roles that a priest fulfills, but without the religion and without the housekeeper too. <laughs> And without the housekeeper, I'm much better to be without the religion. I think I would have been very lonely in that big house, and I think I would have broken any number of commandments. But it does bring out the, the interesting point, doesn't it, that we don't need to be Christian to be good. We don't need to be good to be Christian, apparently. But what's the connection? Why does Father Bob need to be a priest to do the great work that he does? I mean, it gives a framework and a structure. Know. Do you feel like you're lacking a framework and structure for behaving morally and knowing what is the right thing to do and helping where you can? No, and that's why I'm not a Christian. So again, I, I don't think that for me, just as I don't think that religion is really to do with logic, it's to do with emotion, it's to do with meaning. I also don't think religion is to do with morality. I don't think there's much of an overlap. And if there is an overlap, it's coincidental. And for Christians to claim the golden rule as their own shows a severe ignorance and a, a severe lack of cultural awareness. They don't own that. Of course they don't. Jesus didn't invent the golden rule, with the golden rule simply being, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's not essentially Christian. What do you believe in? To me, that's almost to kind of fall into the religious error. If you don't believe in God, what do you believe in? Don't see it that way. I think that life is extraordinary, that people are amazing. I mean, our podcast is seeking to demonstrate that what you might call ordinary people, everyday people, have amazing stories. And they don't tend to be the ones that are celebrated in books and in on TV. They're usually presented as being, you know, sort of uh, crisis cases. But we know that we've all got our burdens to carry. And I'm Continue to be amazed at the resilience of people to, to get by in the worst of circumstances. Maybe you believe in resilience. 
I believe in the power of resilience, certainly. And I believe it's a skill that can be learned and that we have overlooked its power and that we're in real danger of bringing up people who are less resilient than the generation that came before them. And we, in turn, may be less resilient than our parents' generation. I think the other thing that a lot of forms of, of religion bring is community. They bring that, that sense of belonging, of gathering, of small and wider communities. No doubt. But you can get that from a Jane Austen reading group or from a James Joyce Society or a rugby club or Rotary or golfing mates. I highly recommend the Scouts. Well, the Scouts. It feels like a lot of this is about the context and the time as well. We are increasingly, as a society, we're moving away from established religion. There's still a lot of, still a huge part of many, many people's lives, but it's not all-consuming. It's not in the way that it was even two generations ago where just about everybody went to church. Is that because other things have replaced? I mean, there was a time when if you wanted community, it must have been one of the major ways of accessing community, and now there are many options. And it may be that there may be gaps, roles that were traditionally filled by the church. It takes a little while for those organisations, those other forms of support to fill that vacuum, but they can and they will. When you look at the transformation of Ireland over the past, I don't know how many, 20 or 30 years, it may have been one of the most conservative and religious Christian countries in the world, and they have taken off those shackles. They're now tremendously free, and I think so much better for it. But then as someone who doesn't believe in God, I would say that, wouldn't I? <laughs> You don't believe in God, but you you have an amazing amount of knowledge from your background, from your study, from your reading. I don't believe in God, don't have the knowledge. <laughs> Did your dad not leave you a collection of theology books that you could dust off? He left the most startling collection of books, and I gave them to a, a specialist um, theological library attached to a, I think it's a Catholic church. That'll teach him. <laughs> <laughs> I kept the novels. I was hoping to learn something from Father Bob. I thought he might be able to really give some explanation for the role that God plays in, in his life. And I didn't really get that from him. Agree. I continue to be amazed by his work and by his passion and energy. And as I say, it's inspiring and to me much closer to the spirit of Jesus. But you don't need to be a Christian to follow Jesus, to see the good that he was about. And he's remarkably um, ahead of his time. I think he's more contemporary now than he has been for centuries. Mm. Talking about the iniquity of power and the helplessness of the oppressed and of children, of women, of minorities, of, of lepers, of anyone who's excluded, who's pushed to the sides, to the margins of society. That's who Jesus was for. Which is admirable. It's not what a lot of Christianity seems to be about, though. When it is, that's Christianity at its finest, isn't it? The kind of work that Father Bob is doing. I think we can certainly agree on that. Well, I don't feel like we're having conclusions or anything like that in this episode, um, but that's probably okay. I don't know that, I mean, we're good, but are we capable of casting a whole new light on belief and religion? in one episode not that not quite that good maybe i'd love to hear what listeners make of this particularly believers i want to hear from people who can articulate perhaps better than father bob what it means to them maybe we need a part two and if they wanted to reach us Susie, how can they do so Susie at bloomcast.com.au steve at bloomcast.au leave us a review on apple podcasts 
Until next week. See you soon.